samples. The Hong Kong Productivity Council has released its first hydrogen report outlining the potential use of the gas as fuel to help achieve the territory's carbon neutrality goals. The response to a survey among the automotive industry was generally positive, although there were concerns about costs and production capacity. The research comes as the first hydrogen-powered buses are due to appear on the roads in Hong Kong with plans for further expansion. So what are the prospects for the hydrogen economy and how much of a benefit could it be to the environment? We'll find out. After 9.45, we'll hear from the organisers of the 52nd Hong Kong Arts Festival. If you want to join the conversation, you can let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88-266. That's 233-88-266. Joining us now on the line, we have with us uh, Lawrence Chung, who's Chief Innovation Officer at the Productivity Council. Lawrence Chung, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Jim. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Uh, very good, thanks. And thanks for joining us. And also with us, uh, we have uh, William Yu, who's uh, Chief Executive Officer of the World Green Organization. Um, uh, perhaps, uh, Lawrence Chung, we could start with you. So I guess uh, the, the big question then is, um, what is the potential uh, for hydrogen as a, a means of uh, powering vehicles? And uh, what, is the, what are the prospects for the, what we're calling the hydrogen economy? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, we did the survey um, to in, from the last two, three months, I think focusing on the potential use of hydrogen in the transportation uh, sector. Uh, we did uh, desktop research uh, into the global hydrogen technology and take reference for the potential use in Hong Kong. And we also conduct a market survey of the transportation industry uh, and then looking at what, how the transportation industry will the, uh, the hydrogen as a fuel, as fuel uh, for, for Hong Kong. And the, um, the response is quite, uh, quite positive, as you said. I think that for the potential use of hydrogen in Hong Kong, I think the main focus would be on the commercial vehicles. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the survey results and also from our desktop research points to the fact that uh, making use of hydrogen uh, for commercial vehicles would be more welcome uh, by the transportation sector because uh, the refueling time is much shorter than the uh, battery-powered uh, uh, EV. And the application area, I think, would be mostly like the franchise buses, minibus, taxi, cross-border uh, trucks and all that. I think those would be the area which would be uh, benefit most from the use of hydrogen. Mm. Uh, and how does it compare uh, its uh, efficiency uh, with uh, uh, battery electric vehicles? I think that the main thing is the charging time. Now, for let's say uh, an electric uh, bus, a double-decker electric bus, if you charge an electric bus, uh, that would probably uh, need about three to four hours uh, for charging. But uh, for refueling the uh, hydrogen power uh, double-decker bus, the time taken would be about say 20-25 minutes. That would be that would be comparable to the diesel power. Uh, uh, buses where you know the refueling of the diesel would be around a similar uh, uh, time. So that that would be something that uh, the operator would be uh, comparing. Uh, partly also because um, uh, if you are having a fleet of over a thousand buses 
and if you want, you need to charge them overnight. Uh, if each of them need to have three or four hours, then that would take too long a time to do the charging. What? Uh, good morning. What are the environmental aspects of this? Yes. Now, for hydrogen, I think I probably elaborate on that a little bit more. Hydrogen itself, if you remember our secondary textbook days, it is two hydrogen <laughs> atom, and it does not contain yeah. any carbon. And in the days where we need to have a carbon neutral target of 2050, uh, and also around the world, um, making use of hydrogen would be very beneficial to the environment because the byproduct of making use of hydrogen either as fuel cell or either as combustion engine, the outcome, the output would be water because hydrogen would combine with water and generate uh, energy. Whereas for, um, for, for diesel power, uh, buses, let's say, because the diesel would contain uh, carbon. So if you combust the uh, combust the, uh, the fuel, then the, 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 the exhaust gas will contain uh, well, carbon. But what about the energy to get your hands on the hydrogen? Yes. For hydrogen, uh, there are uh, several categories of hydrogen. Uh, one would be called the grey hydrogen, that uh, the hydrogen would, the generation of hydrogen will produce carbon. And for that, at this moment, most of the hydrogen uh, produced uh, around the world would be still uh, uh, that kind of hydrogen, and that would require uh, the splitting of the um, the water uh, into uh, into hydrogen and uh, oxygen, and also some of them would be splitting uh, the uh, diesel. Uh, sorry, not diesel fuel, but hydrocarbon, uh, extracting hydrogen from it and generate carbon as a result. Now, for some of the development of hydrogen, uh, that would uh, what, what we call the blue hydrogen. The blue hydrogen would capture the carbon and then store it away, and that would still be clean to the environment. And then the best scenario would be the green hydrogen, where the generation of hydrogen would be mostly uh, carried out by um, uh, solar power. So the, gen- the energy generated would be from solar cell, and then the energy generated would use would make use to carry out electrolysis to generate hydrogen from water. And those would be the best case scenario, but that would, uh, that would still need some time to widely um, adopt it. But uh, in general, um, uh, the, the actual impact on the environment would be positive um, for making use of hydrogen, even if we are making use of grey hydrogen at this moment. OK, OK. Well, let's bring in uh, William Yu at this point. William Yu, uh, Chief Executive Officer of the World Green Organization. Uh, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so uh, this seems like a, a technology uh, still in uh, development to, to a certain extent. To what, what do you think? What is the, what is the potential for using uh, hydrogen as an environmentally uh, friendly and efficient fuel? I think I agree that is the global trend, especially uh, for its application to the heavy-duty vehicles. Uh, because you, you, you can imagine... Um, if uh, using uh, a big uh, battery, uh, a very heavy one, and to carry it, you know, uh, for transportation purpose, you can imagine, uh, you know, the duplicated effort and also the increased uh, carbon emission. So that's why um, um, for the heavy-duty uh, vehicle, uh, people uh, now bet on the hydrogen. Uh, using hydrogen source, but uh, as mentioned uh, by uh, uh, yes. a- another uh, guest, yeah, um, 
I, I think um, <clears throat> um, we we uh, need to think about the source of hydrogen. Uh, you know, whether it's a green hydrogen or it's a gray one or a brown hydrogen. Uh, because um, in in Hong Kong, we have a very limited uh, limit uh, limited uh, source of supply. Uh, we we might not be able to generate hydrogen uh, lo locally. So, um, you know, for green hydrogen source, uh, using uh, solar energy or renewable source through electrolysis to generate green hydrogen, um, we might not have uh, the enough space to do so. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, or, so throughout the transport, uh, be it now through the uh, ammonia conversion, uh, 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 liquefied stage to uh, gas stage kind of conversion, uh, that involves you know uh, the safety and uh, store, uh, storage uh, consideration. So um, whether uh, we can um, have uh, the infrastructure to do so. Um, but but I, I want to uh, talk about you know uh, that is the potential. But the, the hurdle now is hydrogen. Uh, the the cost is uh, still very expensive. So that's the reason why it. Uh, cannot be uh, too popular at, at this stage. Mm. Right. Okay, a comment here from listener TC says uh, the biggest benefit of hydrogen fuel is that it's abundant as it can be extracted from water, but the key factor is the way it's extracted. Um, um, Lawrence Cheung, I did notice in the report as well that uh, it talks about uh, Hong Kong being in uh, an advantageous position because uh, our utility gas mixture is already made up of, uh, of, uh, of half of it is hydrogen. Um, um, which so so this allows uh, easier extraction for us. Is that the case? Yeah, that's the case. I think mm. Hong Kong is in a very privileged position because uh, Hong Kong is one of the two cities in the world that has a very widespread infrastructure of uh, of uh, gas tank gas uh, to to our home, and the particular gas content would have fifty percent of that would be hydrogen. Uh, because the actual uh, supply infrastructure are already in place, and the matter of if we need to set up refueling station around Hong Kong, uh, then the, the matter would be to how to extract the hydrogen from from the gas content, and that that already there are uh, existing technology that can do that. That that is to to extract the hydrogen from the uh, from the gas, and then and then the, the carbon itself would be would be collected back. Right. Uh, to target that, so that that in in a case that compared to around the world, in the in even in mainland China, uh, they are talking about uh, setting up uh, gas supply infrastructure, piping infrastructure between the cities, and and we already have that, so we we are in a way quite uh, quite advantage in in that in that respect. What about the time scale? Because some of the things that have been said about what we need to do next sound as though they're going to take quite a while. Now, the time in terms of the time scale, as I mentioned in the report, uh, in the report, we we possibly would look to the government for 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 a holistic plan as to how to roll out hydrogen in Hong Kong, because I think most people would be would have agreed that uh, you know the the rollout and the development of hydrogen economy is slightly lacking behind in Hong Kong, and it's good that in a way the government recognised that, and then they are working on a report and also working on 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 a plan to. On how to roll that out. Uh, time in terms of time frame, um, I think it would still take some time. There are um, some hydrogen vehicles available already in the mainland, but 
when we talk about the whole uh, infrastructure and also the whole holistic plan, we are not only looking at the vehicle itself. We need to also look into the fuel, the hydrogen supply, and also uh, in terms of the pricing of hydrogen. As William just mentioned, at, in, as in Hong Kong, the hydrogen cost is still quite high. Um, as compared with mainland China, the actual hydrogen itself, they have subsidies as to how or what what uh, some operators when they operate hydrogen power vehicles, they would have um, subsidies from the government as to the hydrogen fuel cost. Um, the actual fuel cost itself, they are controlling it to be about three times the price of natural gas because the natural gas itself compared to hydrogen would be more comparable in terms of their use in transportation because the mode and also the way they uh, refuel the vehicle would be quite similar. And the reason why they have three times the actual price as, as price reference is because the actual fuel efficiency of um, hydrogen is about three times that of uh, natural gas. So as a result, the, 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 in mainland China, the, the actual policy and also the strategy as they, they operate in the beginning, they have, uh, they have government subsidies to bring up the, uh, the demand because uh, it's always a demand and supply problem. In Hong Kong, uh, the hydrogen cost is high because we have very little demand. We do not have a lot of uh, use of hydrogen at the moment in Hong Kong. Uh, I, I jokingly say that even you know the balloon, we are using helium as balloon, not not in the in the balloon, but not hydrogen. <laughs> so in Hong Kong, in order to bring up the uh, the demand, then we need to probably the government need, may need to provide some sort of uh, you know subsidies in terms of the the fuel cost, as well to, as well as the cost of the vehicles itself. Now the cost of a fuel cell power. Uh, vehicle would be higher than electric power vehicle. So um, because um, you need to put in uh, the fuel cell and the fuel cell itself is quite expensive. So the government will, may, may also need to look into subsidizing uh, in the beginning the, the purchase of uh, or the conversion mm. of uh, commercial vehicles into, into hydrogen power. Would these, would these subsidies be ongoing or would they be a, an upfront one to get it launched? I think I, my, my suggestion would be it should be only in the beginning because once uh, we bring up the, uh, the demand, the supply will come up. And I think it's a transition period that we need to move from a carbon-based uh, transportation infrastructure into a hydrogen or electrified-based uh, infrastructure that needs some time. And the actual transition itself, that would cost the operators and the industry money. Right. And in order to bring up the demand, I think we need to do it as an interim. But in the long term, I don't think the government will be continuously, should be continuously subsidizing that. Okay, mm -hmm. let, me, let me turn the question round, upside down then, if I may. One of the arguments, uh, one of the difficulties with the battery is that for the very larger vehicles, they would have to be very big, and they themselves are very heavy, um, and therefore, in a sense, you need more power to carry the battery around. Exactly. Um, but how about innovation in, in batteries? Can we make the batteries lighter? Can we make them quicker to recharge? Aren't there advances in that area as well? Yes, I think in parallel, I think the battery industries, they are, they are doing that. They are particularly for passenger vehicles, where I think that would be the prevailing trend that, electric 
power, uh, battery power electric vehicle would be the prevailing trend. That's what my, my, my view would be. And a lot of the battery supplier and and also a lot of the research institute, they are looking into different kind of batteries that would decrease the charging time, decrease the weight, and also increase yes. the power efficiency. But that takes time. Uh, it's not something that would happen overnight. I think the, what we are enjoying now in terms of the uh, petrol or diesel power uh, vehicles, they have been in development for over 100 years. So we need to be uh, allowing the researchers some time to develop that technology. On, on the other hand, he's playing devil's advocate, if I may, uh, all the other sources of energy that we talk about, coal, gas, hydro, solar, nuclear, wind and so on, they all can give us electricity um, and we know how to gather it and, and how to use it. So it's a question of using the... Uh, the, the electricity that we can generate um, more efficiently, isn't it? Yeah, that's quite true. But once one, we, we need also need to look into the fact that you know the automotive industry is a really regulated industry, and also because of you know everybody everywhere in all nations they would have different uh, vehicles and different regulations. Uh, in order to make a particular power source as the prevailing trend, we not only need to look at the vehicles, we also need to look at the, the, the infrastructure. Like, like what I just said, you know, the petrol and diesel power cars, we have the uh, revealing infrastructure that has been in place for many, many years. But in order to build a new infrastructure, whether it is electric, uh, battery power electric vehicles or hydrogen power electric vehicles, that we need to have the infrastructure for refueling. And that will need time to develop. Okay. okay. Um, William, William, you? Hi. Uh, yeah. I think um, uh, Lawrence has pointed out a very important point. That, that is the, the gas station, you know, to refuel hydrogen uh, for the vehicles. Uh, whether, uh, you know, just like uh, the electricity, you know, the EV charging station, um, I, I think that that kind of infrastructure should be made available in order, you know, to support the entire uh, transport mode. So, so that's the the key area uh, we need to look at. But definitely, tank gas. Uh, the, uh, to rely on uh, current town gas setup and how we can uh, have this kind of device uh, to convert that town gas into hydrogen. I, I, I think we should think about how to leverage this advantage. What about the alternative? Um, I don't want to sound as though I'm against hydrogen <laughs> power being used in this way, but how about the idea of you, you drive a vehicle in take out the old battery and put in a fully charged one? Uh, let me answer that question. I think okay. um, for passenger vehicles, that technology has been around for over 10 years. Uh, it was already started by from all places an Israeli <laughs> company, but that company folded six, seven years ago. That didn't happen. The reason because, as I mentioned, the automotive industry is a very regulated industry and they are, they are severely competitive. So in order to have, let's say, a battery that can swap uh, between cars, between different makes, between, between different OEM car makers, right. it would be very difficult. So uh, it's not a matter of technology, it's a matter of the business case. Yes, of course, and you, you need, again, up front, you've got to have lots of places where you can swap. And also you need to define a standard of 
how yes. what the size of the battery is, what kind of battery it is, and because different car makers they would have probably would have make use of different type of batteries and the actual uh, uh, controlling mechanism and the management, the battery management system probably would be different. So, so it's not an easy task to do that. Right, and we okay. already have this problem to some extent because of the plugs. Exactly. Like, you know, the, our, our smartphone plug, we only just recently you know, have one of the phone makers that conform to the USB-C standard after all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- William Yu, can we be confident that, uh, that uh, uh, hydrogen technology is completely safe? Um, I, I would say, um, you know, um, because the worldwide requirements now is uh, they cannot... Uh, Past the tunnel, you know, uh, for all this high hydrogen vehicle. If uh, if I'm uh, uh, right on this, is uh, because in a contained uh, area or, or uh, you know uh, conditions um, uh, is uh, pose some kind of safety concern. So that's why uh, we need to choose uh, the specific pathway, you know, or or routing uh, for this uh, transport. Um, so, um, but I, I think that can be solved. Uh, also, I know uh, government, different departments are working hard uh, with the fire department uh, to sort out, you know, the safety standard. MENSD has developed uh, uh, some kind of uh, safety measures. I, I've, I think that's the area we, we can overcome, I would say. Well, that seems quite a big challenge, though. Um, we've got not just the cross-harbour tunnels, We've also got bypass tunnels, don't we? I'm thinking the one under one chai. It takes you from, what, Sai Ying Poon uh, all the way to North Point. So it's long tunnels, um, not just cross-harbour ones. Hmm. That's quite true. But uh, I, I, I would probably say at, at one point is that, you know, you know the LP gas um, taxi for Hong Kong has been around for over 30, 20, 30 years. And we do not have a single accident uh, related to to gas. I think I think I think my take is that uh, you know hydrogen power vehicle would not be more dangerous. I think than than the gas powered uh, taxi type of thing. But I think we need to have a proper regulatory framework in place that would govern uh, the the storage or and also uh, the operation of uh, the hydrogen uh, regime. Uh, I think that is important. Uh, there are already a lot of international uh, standards available that uh, we can make reference to. So I, I think um, eventually we will work that out. Possibly on on some occasion we don't use of we don't use hydrogen in some area, and and I think but we can solve all the problems in in one go. Possibly we can solve eighty percent of the problem in one go, and that would be sufficient, I think, for the time being. <laughs> Uh, just to clarify, you, you mentioned earlier about hydrogen being used uh, in, in fuel cell to create uh, an electric current or also being used for combustion. I mean, um, are, are, is, um, is that a sort of a viable option, you know, like, like burning hydrogen to power cars? Or, yes, yes, yeah. yes. There are some development in mainland and also other parts of the world that make use of hydrogen in, in combustion engine. And it is not as good as fuel fuel cell power car because uh, it, it generate it although it generate uh, water as byproduct, but it may also generate NOx uh, in the out, output. But 
the thing is that we have so many many high, uh, com- internal combustion engine cars around the world. Uh, if we are able to let's say retrofit some of these vehicles with hydrogen fuel tank, and then it combusts the uh, the hydrogen instead of uh, diesel or or, or or petrol, and and that make the actual barrier of um, of conversion much easier. Okay. Okay. Well, it's uh, coming up to uh, 9.30. I have to thank you both for uh, joining the programme this morning. Uh, That was uh, Lawrence Cheung, Chief uh, Innovation Officer at the Hong Kong Productivity Council. And thanks also to William Yu, Chief Executive Officer of the World Green Organisation. We will uh, continue the conversation with a different guest uh, after the break. Uh, We're going to take a short break for a news summary and a couple of announcements. Uh, Just a quick look at the weather first. Uh, Mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches today. Sunny intervals though in the afternoon. Top temperature around 28 degrees. Uh, The outlook windy with a few rain patches in the next couple of days. Uh, Rain will be more frequent on Wednesday and Thursday. Here is the news with Ben Che. Foreign Minister Wang Yi has told his Iranian counterpart that China supports the just cause of the Palestinian people. The foreign ministry said Mr. Wang told Hussein Amir Abdullahain that the root cause of the conflict was that the Palestinians' right to statehood had been set aside. The hospital authorities says it will continue to bring overseas trained doctors to Hong Kong and it may hold more recruitment sessions in Britain and Australia. It says about 70 non-locally trained doctors had started work at public hospitals by the end of last month. Meanwhile, a legislator says the top priority in addressing public hospitals' labor shortage should be retaining experienced staff, not just recruitment. Medical sector lawmaker Dr. David Lam said the overwhelming workload in the public sector was driving away doctors. We'll have more news for you at 10. This quarter's demand notes for rates and government rent have been posted. There will be no rates concession for this quarter and the next. The total amount due is shown on the demand note. Be sure to pay by October 31st or you'll have to pay a surcharge. If you haven't received the demand note, please call the Rating and Valuation Department's Inquiry Hotline on 2152-0111. To save time, please pay your rates and government rent by autopay or electronic means. The 9th Hong Kong Games is calling for athletes for eight sports events. What's new this time are three-on-three basketball and different age groups for athletics, badminton, swimming, table tennis, and tennis. Come and join the district athlete selections and show us your potential. Let's follow Cheering Larry and cheer for the athletes. Our city, our games. Visit hongkonggames.hk for more. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And welcome back to Backchat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And we're going to continue with our main topic this morning, which is the potential for use of hydrogen as a fuel to power vehicles. Uh, we're joined now by Lawrence Yu, who's Executive Director of Civic Exchange. Good morning to you. 
Good morning. Thanks for joining us, uh, Lawrence, uh, you. Uh, if you just give me a second, I'd just like to read out uh, a message here from uh, a listener. Email from uh, listener Richard says, uh, uh, the quick uh, jumping over of the carbon capture part of the hydrogen uh, infrastructure hides the fact that there are not any significant commercial uh, CCS systems that can capture the carbon released by grey or blue hydrogen. Until this is solved, the problem with hydrogen is simply adding another step in the existing fossil fuel economy. It is therefore not surprising to see that this is the favoured solution of the oil and gas industry. As for the lack of solar power, land shortage is an issue, but floating solar on reservoirs would improve availability while reducing evaporation, so proving two benefits. The other possibility is wind energy, and for that there isn't a land shortage issue. It's simply a motive issue. The unwillingness to, bind, to build adequate wind generation... Why isn't this being done? That from Richard. Thank you. If you uh, want to get in touch, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Our Facebook page is backchat on rthk radio 3. Or you can call us on 233 um, Lawrence Yu, we were talking uh, before the break about, uh, well, about the potential uh, of hydrogen as uh, fuel to power vehicles, especially commercial vehicles. It seems that uh, it would be uh, more beneficial perhaps uh, for, for buses and, uh, and large trucks and so on. Uh, wh wh what's your view of this? Um, I think for the commercial vehicle, definitely is a potential. In particular, there are couple um, key concern or existing challenge that, that hydrogen maybe can help us to resolve, resolve it. First of all is the spacing issue because um, the charging facility actually occupy a lot of space so that um, hydrogen definitely is a um, better option to um, help um, the fit owner to save space to install the equipment. Secondly is the range. The existing um, battery uh, electric vehicle, the range is much shorter compared with the hydrogen. So that, that is definitely also can help um, the fit owner to really maintain the existing operation um, procedure. And then thirdly, it's about the weight of vehicle. Um, because, um, for example, a 350 kilowatt hour battery is maybe weighs like two to three tons. It will also add extra actual weight on the vehicle. So that it means that um, the fleet owner maybe only can deliver less goods than the conventional or hydrogen vehicle. So the hydrogen vehicle also can really replace the functionality of the conventional diesel vehicle. What about, can I ask you about the safety angle here? Um, because I think we glossed over it quite quickly uh, in the earlier part of the show, especially, I'm thinking, maybe it's my generation thing, but... When I think of hydrogen power, I think of Hindenburg and the airship and a terrible fire back in 1937. Um, have we, are we satisfied that the safety angle is covered? Um, yeah, actually, a lot of people, not just you, but also like me, also has a stereotype. It's like the Hindenburg, the, the big explosion, like um, almost 100 years ago. But actually, what I feel is uh, actually um, hydrogen um, is a type of gas. Imagine every day in Hong Kong, there are a lot of taxi drive all over around Hong Kong. They also fill with the LPG gas so that 
actually the gas is already surrounding us and then if you can see that like 20 or 30 years ago when Hong Kong government tried to adopt the LPG gas, people like me and you also with similar concern. But the time proved that actually LPG gas is also is very safe for Hong Kong. For hydrogen, compared with the LPG gas, actually hydrogen is a much lighter gas. So that when it costs uh, when it um, have like any incident, because the hydrogen gas is much lighter, it will disperse um, to light um, to the top, and then it's, it will gone in almost immediately. And then, for example, if people concerned about the hydrogen vehicle drive in a tunnel and then will cause explosion, um, actually it will be more easy to attract by the tunnel extraction um, for, um, friend. Um, compare with the LPG gas. And then also when we take reference with the UK experience, um, actually the health and safety expert in UK is not really concerned about um, the hydrogen exposure. They're more concerned about because hydrogen is more like a um, little complex it's to 400 times um, the atmosphere first pressure. So that's it. They're more concerned about the suddenly pressure release and that it will hurt people. But at, therefore, they decide a lot of safety while to minimize the risk. But what about the quantities involved? I mean, a small taxi pottering around the place with a certain amount of LPG is one thing, but a, a double-decker bus or a, a very large uh, goods vehicle, there's an issue of scale, isn't there? Um, about the scale, actually, I can give you more data to show it. Um, for like a hydrogen tank for the bus, it only can contain like 20 to 30 kg of hydrogen only. So, so that um, actually when it releases it, um, and then also it's really like put in a, like a carbon fiber tank. So it's really like can absorb the shock. And then also it's like really um, safe. And, uh, and then also thirdly, it's also kind of fireproof so that it's actually is it's also um, safe Okay, uh, a couple of uh, messages here from uh, listeners. Uh, a comment from Mike says, uh, Toyota has already declared that they will not go electric and hydrogen is one of the fuels they're studying. David says, if you go to China, there are thousands of electric bikes that will run for the whole day. Look on the internet, there are many little two-seater electric buggies, for that matter, of a few thousand dollars, uh, easy to charge, uh, very light, enough electric uh, for one day, enough for about 60 kilometres. But the most industry still wants to inform us that we need uh, tanks with uh, big batteries. Um, yeah, uh, so, uh, Lawrence, uh, you, um, we're also, uh, well, City Bus was due to start operating five uh, hydrogen-powered uh, buses uh, uh, by the end of this year. Um, we were trying to uh, check with them, actually, to see whether they'd uh, uh, rolled any out uh, just yet. Do, do, do you happen to know what's happening there? I think the first, the first think... ones were due out this month. 
Yeah, actually, I think um, City Bus is quite active and ambitious in deploying hydrogen technology in Hong Kong. They, for example, um, when they think about this, they also um, actually they think the whole supply chain when they deploy the hydrogen bus into Hong Kong. For example, they source the hydrogen from um, like partnership with um, Tan Gas and then also Veolia to try to like get different kind of option to make sure that the operation will be smooth as the conventional um, diesel bus. And then also, um, for example, um, like um, they just sign an MOU with Veolia and then they can really like to try to extract the landfill gas from um, the site and then to really get like 20, 50 kilogram hydrogen per day, which can sufficient to supply operation of five hydrogen bus so that that is very good signal for Hong Kong not just adopt the embrace the hydrogen economy but also is think ahead more like how to make the hydrogen become green right for the benefit of uh, listeners Fiola is the French company yes what does it what else does it do um, actually, we earlier in Hong Kong, they really manage um, the landfill so that they, mm-hmm. every day, um, actually, they help to capture the landfill gas and then convert it to hydrogen and then supply it to um, city bus. Mm-hmm. So that's actually quite a, actually like a bonus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about, what are your thoughts about the, the costs of this technology? Because uh, the survey that was undertaken uh, by this was by uh, a unit of the Productivity Council among the among the transport uh, industry uh, found that there was quite a lot of concerns about the cost of uh, hydrogen uh, power and hydrogen technology, which may be an inhibitor to its more sort of widespread take up. Um, about the cost, is definitely is a concern because now actually it's a very early stage for our planet to really deploy the hydrogen technology. Um, but actually, we I've also learned some good news from mainland China. Um, for example, in the Greater Bay Area, um, they because the mass scale of deployment, so that the price of the hydrogen um, on, with uh, on-site generation from the fossil technology already can low down to like 40 renminbi per kg, which is really low compared with the rest of the world. And then also in the northern part of China, uh, it, um, some green hydrogen already can reach like one US dollar per kilogram. But the problem is like, how can we really deliver um, the green hydrogen from the northern part of China to Hong Kong so that this this will be a very big problem for us. It's like how to transport hydrogen um, cheap and economical. And then also the global trend so that actually the hydrogen price is dropped down rapidly. And then also for the um, hydrogen fuel cell cost price also drops really significantly. And then on the other hand is um, compared with the conversion vehicle, hydrogen vehicle is more easy to maintain so that the operational cost for maintenance will be much lesser compared with the conversion vehicle so that 
if Hong Kong can embrace or to adopt the hydrogen economy as early as possible, once we build sufficient hydrogen um, refueling network, that can attract more um, stakeholders, more commercial sector people to use the hydrogen. And then mm-hmm. final part is what I observe is City Bus and then is very keen to partner with other stakeholders. So that if the business sector also can embrace this kind of mindset more rise badly. Actually, when they share the facility at the early stage also can help them to reduce the cost. Okay, another message here from a listener, Philip, says uh, uh, no mention of the water battery invented by the Japanese. Instead of filling up with fuel or charging, you fill up the tank with an electrolyte solution. The advantages are safety regarding explosions and fire, and the cars run on a lower voltage than other lithium battery vehicles. The mileage is about 500 kilometres on a single tank. Well, um, I don't really uh, know much about that uh, I have to admit. Uh, what about you, um, uh, Lawrence? You have, have have you heard of this, the the water battery? I, I'm actually I'm also like you. I also not really heard about the water battery because in the international uh, market, um, actually hydrogen and battery is two prioritized solution uh, for the global vehicle manufacturer. Um, so that, um, that's why um, Hong Kong actually is really follow um, the mainland and international um, step to really consider these two options. But the technology actually invents very rapidly. So that what I think Hong Kong needs is like to really develop a framework to help us to adopt a new or emerging mobility technology for Hong Kong in the future. Mm. What about efficient fuel efficiency? I mean, one of the things with electric cars is they accelerate very, very quickly. Are we going to be able to do the same with the hydrogen? Um, actually, hydrogen is also a type of electrical vehicle. Mm-hmm. The differences between the battery electric and hydrogen electric is just the battery is just store the energy in the battery and then use it. And then after the battery drink out, and then they need to charge up the battery again. And the hydrogen fuel cell technology is like to generate electricity on the vehicle immediately when right. it need to use it. So that actually the feeling of driving the hydrogen vehicle and the electrical vehicle basically are the same because they both are powered by motor. Okay, got it. Really Thank interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, developing uh, technologies. Yeah, yeah. It's been a um, a great uh, conversation. Thanks very much, uh, Lawrence, you uh, executive director of Civic Exchange. Ninety-five years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hi, I'm Secretary for Housing Winnie Ho. Happy birthday to RTHK's ninety-fifth anniversary. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, we're going to be turning our attention to the 52nd Hong Kong Arts Festival. Uh, uh, Details were uh, made public the other day. It's going to take place from February to March. It'll feature uh, more than 1,400 
uh, international and local uh, artists, uh, more than 150 performances uh, in 45 programmes. Uh, to talk more about this, uh, we're now joined uh, on the line by Grace Lang, who's a programme director for the Hong Kong Arts Festival. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Wow, uh, it's wonderful to speak to your audience. Well, <laughs> and also, of course, um, um, this is the first uh, full-scale uh, arts festival for several years. Uh, obviously, it was uh, um, not possible to do it uh, on such a scale because of the pandemic. So uh, how are you feeling? Well, it's wonderful. We will be having the festival after the Chinese New Year, and it will end before Easter. So this is the normal festival period which mm. everybody is looking forward to. Mm. Great. And uh, we're, we're being promised a, a lineup of daring and innovative new works. So uh, can you uh, uh, t tell us some of the highlights we can look forward to? Well, to continue the grand tradition of the Hong Kong Art Festival, we have uh, you know, the, uh, wonderful projects uh, all over the world. Um, we have uh, La Scala Ballet, uh, which will be bringing Le Corsaire, the the Pirate, you know, it's a wonderful ballet for the whole family. And the Shanghai Ballet will also bring a very special work, A Side of Love, uh, with the dancers wearing Chengshams on stage. Um, it's a, a Chinese and French uh, production. Uh, this is the grand traditions of the Hong Kong Art Festival. And of course, uh, we have a wonderful concerts like at the City Hall, um, when our festival uh, first started, you know, in 1973, we have mm. all the concerts at the City Hall. So we have the Concerto Italiano. It's a Baroque concert. Uh, we have uh, the entire Vivaldi, Let's Throw a Monica, the uh, complete uh, 12 concertos at the City Hall. And also the Festival Strings Lucerne with the uh, Japanese violinist Akiko Suanai. Mm -hmm. um, so we have all these wonderful uh, concerts as well and special um, choirs, the Netherlands Chamber Choir with the project Van Gogh in Me mm -hmm. with uh, great interactive projections. Mm -hmm. And that will be at the uh, Cultural Center. And another choir Palace uh, Scholars is a return visit to Hong Kong. They were in our festival a long time ago. So this British choir will give three concerts right. uh, uh, in Hong Kong, two at the City Hall and one at the church. Before the pandemic, the uh, arts festival was really generating momentum. Each year seemed to be better than the one before. Um, We've lost, what, three years at least. Uh, do you think that's going to take some of the zip out of the 2024 one? Well, in, in fact, we came back uh, you know, for a smaller scale festival this year, 2023. So uh, the audiences are starting to come back. Of course, we have a strategy. We have the, a lot of uh, weekend concerts, uh, matinee concerts, uh, catering uh, to our first, generation art festival audiences they are getting old so they would prefer to come to the daytime performances so we have a lot of matinees including the opera you know the uh, strauss opera at the cultural center we have a matinee performance we have a matinee performance of the la scala we have matinee performance of the shanghai ballet and many others too 
so that the, our first-generation audience could come, and also the new audience with the kids, the family with the kids, they could also come to the festival. Uh, so it's a wide range of uh, showing times and a wide range of programs for our audiences. Because other industries, I'm thinking catering and, and so on, they've, they've suffered uh, quite a lot, haven't they? Because people changed their habits and right, didn't right. go out at night. <laughs> what can we do to jerk the audiences back? Well, I hope uh, with the festival, uh, all these, of course, we have uh, been um, maintaining our tradition. We have all these evening concerts because still people work and they come to the uh, venues quite late, you know. Uh, so we have uh, performances even a bit later. And I'm sure that uh, with the performances coming back, and uh, the audiences usually would love to eat, have a bite after the concert to talk about, you know, what they have watched and critiques and so on. Uh, so I think, uh, in fact, the festival will bring back a lot of people uh, in Chin Sha Choi and in Central and in Wan Chai, because all our main venues are there, um, to really spend the night out and, and have a great uh, time together. Mm. It's not just the performances, performances plus entertaining themselves or meeting up their friends. You know, some of them just meet once a year during the festival. Right. They come mm. out together for the, for the performances. Yeah, and, and, and I think this will create uh, new opportunities for everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great, yeah. I, I notice also um, that the performances are going to include uh, an adaptation of uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. That sounds really interesting. Right, right, right. This will be a Cantonese version of that. Already a lot of, um, especially schools, colleges, are very interested in this uh, project which we are creating. So um, I hope that... Um, uh, 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 this will give a new edge to our theatre programmes. Uh, you know, this programme is, in fact, directed uh, by uh, this English director, Philip Green, mm. and um, a lot of research, uh, discussion with the local scholars, and a great lineup of uh, uh, the cast. So this thriller, <laughs> I would mm -hmm. say, it's, thriller is also an educational experience yeah. Yeah. over the last two or three years mm -hmm. uh -huh. quite a lot of the people who might be tempted by an arts festival have moved to other parts of asia or gone back home for various for various reasons um, are you confident that we can sell out a similar level as previous years i well i hope so um i hope with your help you know the radio <laughs> also helping us to promote the festival. And in fact, we have been diversifying our audiences a great deal. We have a lot of uh, new audiences coming into the festival, uh, attending the theater projects and so on. And, and, and the coming festival, we have a musical. It's a, it's a new musical uh, created, in fact, uh, by our wonderful composer, Leon Cole. And the Mandarin version will premiere in Guangzhou in January, and we have the Cantonese version uh, uh, during the festival. And musicals have been a very popular uh, 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 genre in the festival. 
So I believe with our di uh, diversifying program and the age group too, we have a great Young Friends program for those who are not aware of our educational program. We do have a Young Friends uh, membership scheme for young people who are at school, uh, secondary school, universities, uh, universities as well. So they can join our festival as members and they can enjoy two performances. Right. When do they... Very reasonable, $80 and $120. When do the tickets go on sale or are they already on sale? No, already on sale. Okay, how's the, how's the feedback so far? Well, I haven't uh, uh, seen the result yet. I believe it's going on you know, very quickly and now subscription as well. Because now if you buy tickets, you get a discount if you buy more. So I hope you will, you know, gather with your friends and relatives and so on, your colleagues. Uh, some companies actually, they it's in in their HR program that they would encourage their staff to have a wonderful night out mm. by going to the festival. Mm. So there are all these different configurations you can think of of the purchase. Uh, behavior of our audiences. Yeah, very good. And you, you mentioned the schools and u universities because the, the education program is, is a big part of this, isn't it? Yes, mm. uh, we have a lot of um, schools now actually uh, receiving our tours. Uh, we have some tours to the schools introducing the festival and then we have a lot of workshops, master classes and talks for them as well as bringing them, preparing them to the performances. Mm -hmm. And then the audience will come, the students will come to attend the performances, and then there would be discussions, and or some of them, they will write critiques on them, you know, their own ones, and there will be conversations with the artists. So this is a big part of our festival. Uh, that's how we can uh, sustain the festival, I would, I would think, and also bring back the young people to, uh, to the culture and the arts. Mm. Uh, like this, this coming year, we have a great part in the uh, intangible heritage, the Kunju, the Beijing Opera, uh, Cantonese Opera, and the Shanghainese uh, Ping Tan. So these are really uh, uh, wonderful uh, educational experiences for sure, them as well. Sure, and in addition to the uh, to the international uh, acts as well, like like for instance, the, the Bavarian State Opera is going to uh, open the festival. Is that right? Yes, mm. yes, the Bavarian uh, Opera. They were supposed to come. Well, the first year of the COVID, mm. uh, the the container had to return back to <laughs> okay. Munich. They were at the, uh, at the Victoria Harbour. Well, it's good that they could make it this time. So, so, yeah, actually, we're out of time, but thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on this morning's programme. Uh, Grace Lang, their programme director of the Hong Kong Arts Festival. Uh, thanks to uh, our co-host, Mike Rouse. A bit highbrow. And, <laughs> and uh, OK, uh, we've got new summary coming up, followed by Brunch with Noreen.
RTHK, the news at 10 with Ben Che. The hospital authority says it will continue to bring overseas trained doctors to Hong Kong and it may hold more recruitment sessions in Britain and Australia. It says about 17 non-locally trained doctors had started work at public hospitals by the end of last month, with a 